In a lot of ways, my filmmaking journey has been a kind of a journey of, to use these big glorious terms, right? You know, decolonizing my myself as a filmmaker, in a sense, as a practitioner and as an audience and as a human being. So that's been a journey in itself. It was only just the other day that we were like, oh, Tukibuki, and now we're like well-versed in this huge canon of African cinema. But that's been such a privilege. That's taken a long time to get to where we are. Welcome to the CineDB podcast series about African film professionals, hosted by three film curators and critics, one Anglophone, one Francophone, and one Lusophone. This 18-episode podcast series features directors, producers, educators, curators, and critics who share their experiences and reflections around their work. I'm your host, Katarina Hedren, film curator and critic. And in this episode, I'm talking to Namibian filmmaker Perivi Kachavivi, whose background in hip-hop and self-decolonizing efforts informs his work. In this conversation, Perivi talks about the search for language, about haunted sites, and how he wants us to be comfortable, both in tension and in unease. Namibian British filmmaker and researcher Perivi Kachavivi is a PhD candidate in history at University of the Western Cape. He is known for the Netflix series Emoyeni and the films The Unseen and Film Festival Film. He has written extensively for the Vintok Observer, Africa is a Country and OK Africa on issues such as culture, identity, race and genocide. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Perivi Kachavivi, I'm so happy to welcome you to the CineDB podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start. If you could begin by telling me where and how your journey in film began, and where you're finding yourself today. Yes, thank you. I don't know where to start, Katerina. I think I probably wanted to be a filmmaker as early as when I was about eight or nine years old. I think I, I have a, a strong memory of, of kind of always having this weird, strange obsession to want to be a filmmaker, despite growing up in Namibia, all the way at the bottom of Southern Africa. And in an environment, particularly sort of early 90s, right after independence, right after the fall of apartheid in Namibia, there was no real film industry or there were very few people interested in film. So it was not sort of a very nurturing environment for filmmakers or artists per se, but yet I always had this strange obsession and um, a lot of it probably had to do with some of my formative years, I think, in the States and some of that. I spent two years in the U.S. in the late 80s. I was also born in the U.K., where my mother's from, and my father is Namibian. My mother is originally from Britain. So I was exposed to a lot more in those years as well, which probably also had an influence. It allowed me to see films. And I remember playing with my, my cousins, and we would make home videos. We would make short movies. We would make 
James Bond Jr. We would make, I think at one stage we did some ridiculous mashup of like Jean-Claude Van Damme's Time Cop meets Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest. And so I always had like this really strong sort of uh, creative <laughs> impulse, if you will. And uh, it's been an interesting journey because, you know, as a kid, it was hard to kind of follow that through, I guess, and stay committed and stay kind of driven and not kind of just settle for a desk job, so to speak. And, you know, in later years, I went to film school. You know, my early sort of film education was very Hollywood. It was a diet of Hollywood films and, you know, by historic Kindercore, South African cinemas and South Africa's multi-choice DSTV, Mnet. So it was very limiting in, in terms of the palette, the diet at that stage as a kid, obviously, you know, not being exposed to, to much beyond that. And then later in late teens, early 20s, and then with film school and with, you know, the gifts of like the piracy age, if you will, it allowed me to really start digging and seeing films from Europe and Asia and, and eventually Africa. Mm, and last, exactly. So I think, yeah. um, not alone in this, but for many of us in our film education, African cinema came sort of right at the tail end, even for those of us who were growing up in and on the continent, mm. you know, which, which really drove me later in, in life to do a, an MA in African cinema at, U, at UCT, partly because I wanted to sort of set that straight and educate myself and, mm. and dive into, into films and filmmakers from, from our continent that I just didn't have access to via the sort of normal channels. And in a lot of ways, my filmmaking journey has been a kind of a journey of, uh, to use these, these big glorious terms, right? You know, decolonizing my, myself as a filmmaker, mm. in a sense, as a, yeah. as a practitioner as, and as an audience and as a human being. Yeah. So that's been a journey in itself. It was only just the other day that we were like, oh, tukibuki. And now we're like well-versed in, you know, deeply in, 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 in this huge canon of African cinema. Yeah. But that's been such a privilege. That's, it's been a long, taken a long time to get to where we are so to speak, I think, mm. or at least for myself and maybe for some of my peers. In terms of the f films I've made, in terms of my filmmaking journey, the first feature I made was a film called The Unseen, which we shot in 2015, mm. took to festivals in 2016. And The Unseen, like, like many of my films, have been kind of responses to, to some of what I've raised now, those tensions between an Afrocentric perspective on filmmaking versus a Hollywood one. I'm still wrestling with those tensions around, well, you know, am I following in the Griot tradition like the West African filmmakers, you know, or am I, am I responding more in a Southern African way where our experiences of cinema have, has been largely of kind of knowing it as a commercial medium and, and wanting to kind of make space for ourselves mm -hmm. in those industries. You know, or am I French? Is it an art form? Do I want to be like really eccentric with my, yeah. with my creativity? And, and there are other options. So um, I appreciate these tensions. And I think yeah. my films have sometimes not wanted to sit sort of firmly in, in either of those boxes. Mm. And have, have often also responded to environments where, you know, there's, there's fatigue over knocking on doors and and applying to the sort of the, the usual suspects in terms of film funds and you just sort of want to grab a camera with your friend and respond to sort of reality around you so to speak but also want to kind of honor 
the sacredness I feel of script structure and what it allows to reveal over a mm. an hour and a half in a film and make some money, right? So I think yeah. I've tried to make films that have been, I hate that word, unapologetic, but unapologetically unsure about where they stand regarding all that, regarding this sort of just this, this difference in terrain that I'm kind of trying to speak to. It's such a nice overview and there's certain things that I want to pick up on that strikes me. One is that you begin by saying, talking about how you were limited to mainstream. And I think that's a, that's a very um, considerate and, and remarkable choice of words, uh, that, that you were limited to the mainstream and that this journey you made on your own then to decolonize yourself and you're going, tracing back to where, kind of where you belong in the world of cinema. That sounds like such a beautiful journey. And you mentioned then in relation to cinema, you talk about privilege, the privilege of having gotten there. So I really like that journey from the limitation of having been excluded to the privilege of of joining and starting contributing with and how you, the mesh up, and the and the the pure joy in the beginning with the cousins that that you kind of seeking again. So so I I just uh, want to take note of that journey. But then as a filmmaker, you've done a, a master's in African cinema, and I know that you also continued in academia. So so right now, like many filmmakers, you are juggling multiple roles. You are producer, writer, director of your own films, but you're also uh, an academic and an educator. And I might even have left things out. But, but if you can talk about um, your experiences of navigating these intersecting roles. Sure. I think I was always interested in academia. I was always interested in exploring that avenue and wanted to quite deliberately do an MA that was theory-based. So it wasn't a situation where I made a film or did something practical. And I think, you know, as people say, you do an MA and it's very short and that stimulates something. So quite immediately coming out of that experience, I knew I wanted to study further and I experienced these things as the same sort of high or enjoyment or passion. So, you know, writing a script and doing the research behind it and then writing it and then turning it into a visual is for me the same process I go through when I am researching in academia. And mm. for me, it's still it's Hegelian dialect, right? It's still just taking these propositions and the antithesis and taking these sort of opposites and then finding the synthesis and the truth from from that. So for me, that's the same thing as my protagonist going on a journey and then having this sort of deeper B story, if you will, or the inner journey or the essence, right, which they get confronted with and then your hero kind of dies and then comes back to life because they, they've synthesized these two polarities, right? And that's why they beat the bad guy. So for me, when I'm writing a paper, it's the same experience. It's like I'm sitting with these polarities and wrestling with these, these seemingly opposing forces yeah, yeah. or ideas and then digging deep and finding the truth and the synthesis. So I, I have the same joy through these processes. And I also come from hip hop. I have a sort of a music and a hip hop background as well. And so I see myself as a crate digger. I dig. I dig for obscurities, I dig for truth, I dig for, you know, you sample and you put together and you build something new. So for me, 
the process of all this is the, the varied hats, if you will, don't feel so different. In fact, I think I, I find mm. it difficult not being able to exist in these sort of different disciplines and realities all the time. It feels more untrue yeah. to not feel the unity in these things at play, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, and like now I'm doing, I know I'm doing a PhD through the University of the Western Cape in history, um, looking at haunted sites and sites of trauma related to the Herero-German War and subsequent Herero genocide, which happened in Namibia, my Herero people, the tribe I'm a part of, you know, this happened about 100 years ago, 120 approximately, 1908. Yeah. And, you know, this, one of the sites we look at is like a haunted tree, for example. It's like the site of a tree where people were hung. Concurrently, at the same time, I've been making a film called Under the Hanging Tree. It's a fictional film based on, mm. inspired by these historical truths. So one has been feeding the other. The, the research in academia has been feeding the creative film, which is in itself its own thing. And then the creative mm. kind of unravelings and journeying and pitfalls and whatever have been then also feeding back into the PhD. Yeah you know, and the academic work. So it's it's been a sort of tit for tat and, and both of those projects are still ongoing. So I don't quite I can't quite speak much more or that much to to what they are yet. Yeah. They're both still evolving and unraveling. But they in terms of these wearing these roles yeah. or navigating these different roles, they are hmm. I'd like to think of them as one in the same and I like to think of them as having this sort of very intimate conversation with one another, with each other, with two. I love that metaphor of, uh, well, it's not even a metaphor, but the reality of, of um, the link to academia. So you have a, a, a almost a good idea and a villain idea uh, fighting it out. It's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that simple, though, because. <laughs> no, but exactly. Yeah, and I went into it thinking like, well, this is a space where everything's black and white, right? Yeah, I mean, like yeah. the Germans did this to my people. And then it's like, you uh-huh. know, you come out of it and you realize, you know, as, as a historian, of course, you realize, oh, my goodness. It's like history is really complex and and yeah. there are no I feel there are no spaces left where one can like take that position you know like oh good guys bad guys no, black and exactly. white yeah. and and yet you know we do still in the world but personally I've I, it's taught me about love man I mean I came out feeling a lot of love for my so-called enemies or people or ideas even that I perceived mm. as being you know the enemy yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's hard to speak on that, you know, and, and, and then you start actually realizing how, like, if you can look at the worst things that ever happened, the Holocaust, the Herero genocide, yeah. whatever it might be, transatlantic slave trade, and then come out of it like, oh, actually, eh, it wasn't that bad. No, I don't mean it wasn't that bad, but I just mean <laughs> you, you, no, you can mine yeah. the, the truth, the love, the wisdom from these, like, horrific exactly. experiences that we've been through as humanity yeah, yeah, and you're left yeah. with what is love in some way and there's so many layers yeah. to that but yeah, exactly yeah. exactly and the two things you say here one is that i know that um the title unseen is linked to um, mm. something you said now and that i want to expand on further in a little while about language but where you said that you mm-hmm. don't have a language and can you just give me that quote that gave you the title and then we'll continue to talk about that later? It's from the the writer, Ghanaian writer Aikwe Amar, 
from his book Fragments, and it's something like I always mess it up. Something like if I've seen things that remain unseen to those who have eyes, then why should my truest speech not be silence, or why should my wisest speech not be silence? Mm. And I think from from I think this is the good part because I've actually picked an audio clip from this film where one of your three main characters is in a moment of reflection or even despair, perhaps, about his art. And he's a rapper. And um, yeah, maybe if we listen to the clip and you can talk further about this because it links to language not yet acquired. Let's listen to the clip. I'm not, I'm not myself. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I keep emulating. I feel like there's so many constrictions in this in the hip-hop, I don't know I, if I, I should switch things I up. I think that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. I think that as an artist, that constant struggle to, to identify, especially, yeah. you know, being being African, and to, that struggle is what many people are going through, like your age and, and, and in your generation, are going through that same struggle, maybe not, not as an artist, but they're going through that struggle as finding identity. Yeah. So maybe it's like, you know, the music that you write now, you know, is... I feel like I don't even know what music is sometimes, you know? Because it's like, you know... Ah, who knows? Who knows? Like it's like what James was saying. Yeah, like, really, it. it's like yeah. most of the best music is made by people who didn't know what yeah. they were yeah. on. Yeah. Like, cool Hurt. Yeah. DJ Cool Hurt invented hip-hop in the mid-90s in New York City. 70s. And he didn't... Huh? You said mid-90s. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kuhart, well, might as well. But Kuhart is a DJ in New York who invented hip hop in the mid '70s, and he didn't have a clue what he was about to do. All he was trying to do was take the best parts of these disco records, which everyone really loved, which was the part where no one's singing and the drummers just going crazy, and extend those. So he connected two turntables and was like, okay, here that part comes. He took two copies of the same record. Okay, here that part comes. He synced them up and then the next one come, you bring that in, bring it in, back, forth, just juggling the same part over and over again. And then we were just listening to his interview. He hasn't made a dime off hip hop. He was in, he was in the hospital dying of cancer. No one came Nobody to give him no came. money, no nothing. <laughs> He's just lying around decomposing Man. while people are like, throwing billions of dollars in the air off the stuff he made. But that's the key, man. You're not supposed to think about the end game, man. Yeah. You're, you you got to scrap all your interests in the end game and just start thinking about how to surprise. So can you talk about this clip? And I, I find it moving, like the essence of the film, this beautiful film. And, and it really, it's, it's a moment that just spellbound me. Plus I found it hilarious, you know, that I've told you before that this moment is one of the funniest. In a very deep and, and difficult film, this is a hilarious moment. Yeah, I remember you saying that about the film when you saw it, that it was like moving and like really hilarious. And I'd never thought of my work as being funny or intending to be funny. But I, I like that because I think it's, these, these the essence or these moments of like of like deep profound truth like unraveling in these very human moments they are horrific and terrifying and moving and deep and and hilarious often right all at the same time and I love that that there were these moments in the film where like you, you or others were like laughing I was like oh but this is really serious why are you guys laughing and vice versa <laughs> where it was like 
oh, why aren't you guys laughing? Why yeah. are you taking it so seriously? We can also yeah. just laugh at him or her or this yeah. this thing in the scene. But this moment in the film, you know, the rapper Anu sat with these two slightly older colleagues, friends, mentor kind of figures. Mm. And, you know, they're talking about music and identity and and everything under the sun. And there's something very touching about what he says about about, you know, feeling confused and mm. going through this sort of this conflict. Yeah. And what the other guy says on the drums, Becoming Phil, he says, maybe you're supposed to feel that way. And I, I think that's profound. I think if we yeah. hold on to that, like that's our superpower, right? That there's something very beautiful in this space, in this moment. And that's why the film ends with this kind of, with all three characters sort of lost or, or not lost or finding themselves in these liminal spaces and not... There are no easy answers. It's not black yeah. or white. It's not left or right. You know, it really is yeah. these tensions. I sat on a bus in England, you know, I was just coming back there from holiday and from seeing my son. And mm. old lady asked me, you know, what do you do? What do you do for a living? You know, what do you do? What do you do, love? And, you know, you're tempted to respond. <laughs> you're tempted to respond with, you know, oh, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I'm studying. And I, you know, I just felt the, the sort of the humanness in the question. And I, I just said, you know how the world feels really divided right now. And everybody's like, there are these tensions. And I just said, you know, I like to help people feel comfortable with these tensions, you know. And there's something about this guy doing that for Anu, our rapper, in this moment. Like, pat on the shoulder. Like, you're allowed, you're supposed to. If you don't feel, you know, confused or whatever, then you're not really living. You're not really, like, allowing yourself perhaps to, like, think and feel all the things. I mean, I love that. You know, I think that's part of the test, you know. And that lady must still be thinking about your answer. Like, she wanted to chit-chat and you hit her with that. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> she just said I was a bartender. <laughs> that would have led to nothing <laughs> but i was thinking about here so, so what i hear is also like um again where you talked about love and i think i added compassion and i hear that again the compassion for 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 all the expressions for for silence mm. uh while we think while we <laughs> gather information for a new language so to say for and for rage and for despair and there's room for all of it and like you said before when you apologized for saying that it wasn't all that bad you're not saying that it wasn't bad. It was terrible. It was horrible. That's undeniable. Mm. But there was also layer and there's also goodness and this, yeah, there is this core of humanity, even if it's deeply hidden. So, so I love yeah. that you, that's the quest. Yeah. I mean, for a long time I was trained, you know, the world trains you or you train yourself to look for the bad, right? And particularly coming out of our, some of our like brutal histories in Africa and Southern Africa, mm. what's the next horrific thing that I can uncover? Oh, you won't believe that they did this. Or, and then somebody said this insensitive thing. That means that... Da -da. And so you're always like ready to go to war, always living yeah. with like a chip on your shoulder on edge, you know, maybe rightfully so, you know, maybe not. But yeah, the more I looked at these things and I, I think of like filmmaking, you know, for me, like a yeah. film is a miracle. Yeah. The films I've been blessed or lucky to get, you know, made are, are miracles. You know, we when we made Film Festival Film, which you were part of, you yeah. made a lovely cameo. You know, that, that was a film that we literally from script, from me and Pumi, me and Pumilelo and Kata, from when we wrote it <laughs> to going to the Berlinale and having our world premiere there with this tiny film we made for no money, the film collective, it was less than a year. 
Like that's not supposed to happen, right? Mm. So that made me look at things in a different way and say, that was a miracle. And like, why did, how, how come I was on my yeah. game? So-and-so was on their game. Yeah. We all came together. Everybody made these sacrifices. They were, everything lined up, if you will. You know, everything manifested, to use one of those new agey terms, right? It was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. And because we allowed it, or we didn't, you know, we, or we didn't allow it, we let it flow, or we were, like the balance, right, between, you know, like how they say when people are gymming, like, and I'm not a gym buff, but like people who work out, it's like a delicate balance between intense workout and rest. And it's this balance between the two. You can't, it's not you go hard and you go gentle. It's the sacred balance between these polarities, which is like life, right? Very Taoist. And that's like a miracle of making a film. Like, mm. how did we have everything balanced that we weren't, you know, to this or to that? So I really see the miracles in like what a film is. And then mm. it makes me a little gentler with myself and the rest of the world because it's like, well, now I, I look for not like, oh, I can't believe that everybody's fucking up. I can't believe that everybody's mean and horrible. So I guess I can believe it. It's a fallen world. I really do get that the world is really terrible. But now it's more like, but I can't believe that every now and then these good things happen. And they happen long enough that we get to make a film yeah. or have a life. Like, I'm trying to, it's hard, but I'm trying to look at life a bit more that way. Live from that space a bit more because it really is amazing right to get to do what we do now the now the latest film i've done under the hanging tree isn't yeah. that kind of a story it's a miracle but it's like like five yeah. four years yeah. of like pain <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit it's a bit more yeah i don't know if maybe this is yeah maybe that was the other one was the exception and this is the rule but i hate those tortured stories of like, oh we've been making this film for 12 years like, that's that's yeah. torturous yeah 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 <laughs> not glorifying pain here which also brings me to something else that I wanted to talk about is the, the other, not the other as separated, but the endeavor that is linked to what you're doing. And it's almost like a personal quest. And again, it's impossible to separate personal from professional. But um, you have talked about, and I think you are already, but I want to give you a chance to expand on that too, your filmmaking and storytelling as a device for, for healing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would maybe say healing, but I feel like it might sound really hokey and new agey, and I'm cautious of that. I am very much with, in the vein of, uh, don't have the language. I really wrestle with that. Or it would be easy to use language, but I feel like in this day and age, we've reduced the complexity of life to just like, oh, healing, patriarchy, da-da-da, like these really simplistic terms that are supposed to like all encompass these yeah. very complex realities. And, and everything you say can be used against you, will be used against you. And everything, yeah, yeah. and that too, yeah. and that too, yeah. <laughs> but... um. I've been really moved by film being, okay, I will sound hokey in UAG, just a way of finding oneself and a way of finding God or or wrestling with, like, what is that actually? And, you know, and I use the example of, like, of the replicant, you know, Roy Batty in, in, in Blade Runner. I'm one of those people who live very intensely and I'm a bit obsessive. Like, I want to know. I want to know who my maker is. I want to know. And film has been a vehicle mm. to do that in like all sorts of unexpected ways. You know, the types of films that one makes and, and the thing of characters wrestling, particularly with like polarities and things like this. But then also like the aesthetics, you know, I, I have my Steven Spielberg impulses, you know, I'd love to go big. I'd love to do mainstream epic films. And yet 
I've fallen in love with like transcendental cinema and realizing with this last film particularly how extraordinarily challenging it is to make a quiet film and to like mm. tone down the noise and yet when you see great slow cinema great transcendental films when you watch Robert Bresson's Joan of Arc mm. or something like that you know it always looks like eh they didn't do anything you know they just they just filmed in like an empty room and got it to sit really still and it's like you assholes you you don't have no idea you have no idea like how much it takes and the same thing when you see mm. something that looks really like city of god right and like oh they just mm. went into the favelas with a camera yeah. so you have no idea <laughs> so that's you know that's testimony to like the profoundness of the style and those creative choices mm. and those very different examples i've given but uh, we know yeah there's a lot of work that goes into into getting to that space in terms of aesthetic choices and in in a production but i think i've found that i found this deeply challenging in myself to go from the sort of pulpiness of early drafts in a script to the noise that you bring with all your bad writing and you know bad creative choices to like a really stripped down style where you're brave enough to seek out that stillness mm. if you will is really challenging so i found that that has been a a yeah a quasi spiritual psycho spiritual we talked about this term i remember like yeah i love that term trying to get to the grips of what's at the heart of us or like these characters but yeah it's also been for me an uh, an involvement of realizing that i was arguing for the sacredness of script structure that you know it isn't sometimes structure is dismissed as being like a western concept or european whatever that exactly means and then like i don't know like is the african style that chaotic or like free form or it's like really well what now is dismissed as being western if people forget western you know western civilization and things that were got as western were just non eastern and they were usually associated with abrahamic traditions and religions and they were, came from north africa they came from egypt they came from alexandria they came from uh, you know sudan they came from the middle east mm. and they mm. thrived in western europe southern and then western and northern europe and then america and da 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 so uh, what do you mean by western you mean north african traditions that then spread da 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 you know like they wouldn't even let us have mm. christianity anymore it's like oh that's a white mm. thing it's like no <laughs> so yeah. stop that yeah we're in a really weird time where mm. we are letting people decide what are our traditions and what are not as africans as humanity so i've fallen in love with how script structure is really the tarot is really hermetism hermetism which I've also um. appreciated studying a little bit and it's like well wait a minute so we're actually looking at this sort of mapping of the individual and like the individual goes on this journey and they go through these sort of archetypal stages and then they yeah. have to you know you have to die at some point and be reborn with new knowledge and it's very esoteric and it's like well that's a film baby and that's why that's why we're so drawn to uh-huh. these these things that's why i love making them i love watching them it's my, deep down inside me yeah. it's my soul that's responding to this it's not just like cheap thrills and entertainment and it's mm. not just some western like male white cisgender construct mm. that needs to be like torn apart and deconstructed you know it's it's oh it does uh. but um yeah piecing it back together it's quite revealing the formula comes from something older and something sacred that is yeah. human and yeah. ours and and leads you down if you are so curious and if you dare leads you to something higher something beautiful mm. yeah i could talk about this forever but i am going to round up and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh doing that by by just asking you to to just uh 
either add to anything that you've already said or just give it, give us an idea where to from here, Perivi. Sure, no, thank you. Um, where to from here? I'm teaching at the University of Namibia and mm. look to collaborate with other teachers and lecturers and, and film practitioners, you know, in the region. And we want to build our little Namibian film industry and community. And I see education is a big part of that. So I, I look forward to now channeling my energies into that and linking up with other African mm. film schools as we try and build a, a film school of sorts in, in Namibia. That's the next step. Cool. So I wish you all the best in that. And I'm looking forward also to the, to the future films that you'll gift us with. And I thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Perivi Kachavivi for thinking deep and far with us. highly recommend our series in French, hosted by film critic and curator Gia Mambo, and in Portuguese, hosted by scholar and curator Janaina Oliveira. You can subscribe to the CineDB podcast series in any of the three languages on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Lucky are those who speak all three languages because you will get the maximum out of this series. This episode was created by Aken Aesthetic with executive production and curation done by myself, Katarina Hedren. Podcast production is done by Vasti Kalitz with help from Andre Burnett, who is also our editor. CineDB Africa is a project aimed at connecting African film professionals with one another and audiences. This series is funded by the GIZ, the German Agency for International Cooperation and the Goethe Institute. Until next time, keep well and keep watching African films.